The following audio is the recording of a sermon delivered at St. Rose Community Church. You can visit our website at strosecc.org. Chapter 1, if you don't have a Bible, uh, we've got plenty of copies. Mr. Wayne is in the back, he's got copies, so slip up your hand, no shame, uh, if you need a copy of God's Word, and we can get one to you for sure. Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be uh, in verses 3 through 14. So as you heard from Stephen Picard as he was, as he was doing the announcements this morning, uh, this morning requires a little bit of flexibility. Um, and, and, and we're just going to to look at a text and, and see and savor the gospel in it. And in God's sovereignty, we were already planning on doing the Lord's Supper this morning. So we just thought of, man, what, what could we preach? What could we look at that would just, that's just a clear picture of the gospel? Or we could just see and savor just the goodness of Christ in the passage. And, and we're going through Colossians with the student ministry, so apologize to you guys. You might have heard some of this stuff before. Uh, but uh, hey... Reminders are really good. Um, and, and the Lord has just, just led us to this, this passage in this time uh, just to see, and, and, just to see and, and be thankful for the gospel of Jesus Christ. How often do we, do we come to church and we may not feel like coming to church or we, we, we pick up our Bibles and we read and we feel nothing? Um, how often does that happen uh, in the rhythms of our life? How often do we become just familiar with the glories of Calvary, with the glories of Jesus' spilt blood on our behalf? I pray this morning, our prayer this morning, my prayer this morning, is that we would see Christ for, for like, maybe for the first time, but if it's not for the first time, for like the hundredth time, and fall in love with him even more. So if you would, um, let's... Let's, let's, let's turn our attention to Colossians 1, knowing that we need reminding of the gospel. Colossians 1, verses 3 through 14. Paul writes this, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. He's writing a letter to the Colossian church. When we pray for you, verse 4, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you. As indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. And it also does among you since the day you understood it. Uh, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, verse 9, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom, spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God 
being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Verse, we're really going to hone in and zero in on verses 12 through 14. Verse 12 says this, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in an inheritance, in the inheritance of the saints in light. Verse 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness to the, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Praise be to God for his word. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just echo the prayers that, um, that we've already prayed this morning, Lord. You are worthy to be praised. Lord, forevermore we will sing, oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise your name forevermore. We will sing that for eternity. So we thank you for giving us the chance to get started on that now uh, with brothers and sisters in Christ who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. So I pray over the next few moments as we, as we look into your word, Lord, that you would show us Christ, that you would remind us how much you love us in Christ, that you would remind us who we are and whose we are in the gospel. Lord, encourage us and draw us to faith and repentance and draw us to trust in you even more. Pray for myself. Lord, would you, would you speak through your word? Um, I, would you just use your word and, and, and don't, even, don't even use me. <laughs> just use your word to speak through, the, through your word to the people's hearts. Um, and we're listening, God. Would you sanctify us by your word? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And Charles Spurgeon has a quote. And when somebody asked him, they said, why do you preach the gospel every week? Spurgeon looked at one of his parishioners, one of his uh, church members, and he said, because you forget the gospel every week. You could edit that for my life and say, I forget the gospel every day, uh, and I need to hear the gospel every day. And praise God for texts like Colossians 1, 12 through 14, which are so clear on what the gospel is. It's one of the clearest pictures of what happens to sinners who have been saved by the grace of, of Christ. So in this passage, and in, in, in specifically in verses 3 through 14, it's Paul is writing a letter to a church, and he is doing what we do in, in letters that we write. Or we don't really write letters anymore, but text messages, those are too informal. An email? No. Just imagine you're writing a letter. What do you do at the beginning? You introduce. You, you introduce, say why you're so thankful for these people, why you're writing this letter. And this is what Paul does at the beginning of Colossians. And we see in, in twice in that text I just read, um, Paul giving thanks to the Father for what he has done in the life of the people in the church. He says, I'm thankful because he saved you. I'm thankful because this is what he's done in your life. So I say before we even jump into this text, we should be a thankful people. We as Christians, we have the most to be thankful for. Do we not? Yes. If you just, as, I mean, Ray beautifully just talked about what it means to be a part of a church family. But if you just, if you just this isn't in my notes, but just pause and just look around the room. Really, turn your neck, look around the room. 
And when you look at people in this room, you can see, and I just remember stories of salvations, how God has worked in, in people's lives. I'm looking at the Bergerons, and, and two and a half years ago when we started meeting, and then what God has done in, in sanctifying you and drawing you to our church, we can look at people and be reminded and say, wow, we're thankful. Thank you, God, for not only what you've done in, in the history of the world, but what you've done in my life and what you've done in the lives of my brothers and sisters. So may we be a thankful people. But Paul goes on to say in these verses why we should be thankful. He doesn't just say, be thankful because it's a nice thing to do. And you don't really have anything to be thankful for. Just do it. No, he, he tells us why we should be thankful and giving thanks to our Father. Look with me at verse 12. This is what he says. He says, we... Uh, He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So here's where we see our first truth this morning. First truth is this. Truth number one. In Christ, we have an eternal inheritance. In Christ, we have an eternal inheritance. You see that in verse 12. He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in what? The inheritance of the saints in light. Qualified us to share in an inheritance. Like, what a sentence. That is amazing. An inheritance is, 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 is riches that someone gets. You don't work for it. You don't build up your own wealth but you receive wealth, you receive land, you receive possessions because it's in your bloodline. It's your family. It's, it's who your father is. Then you get his riches when he has passed on. It's your birthright. So even if you're a bad son or a bad daughter, and, but if you're in a family, most of the times you get the inheritance. Why? Because it's not about who you are. It's about who your father or mother, or it's about who your family is. Not because of your skill or worth or ability to build a business. Now, Paul says that we as Christians have been qualified to share in an inheritance. Not because of our merit, but because of who our father is. And he is rich. And he has adopted us as his sons and daughters. By nature, we are children of wrath, sons of disobedience. But he, in his loving kindness, has adopted us. What is adoption? Adoption is when you you go after a child, not because they have a rap sheet and and a resume. It's like, this is why you should adopt me, because you are prompted to go and pull this person in to your family. And that's what Christ, that's what God has done to all of us in this room. He has adopted us as sons and daughters. And that, if, if, we, if we're sons and daughters, that means we have one God. And that means he is our father. So we praise him. That's a reason to be thankful. We've been adopted. And, and, and Paul, at the beginning of his letter to the Colossians, in verse 2, he addresses the Colossians as faithful brothers in Christ. So we get this inheritance, first of all, because we have been adopted into the family of God. That's amazing. Well, 
well, what is the inheritance, you might be asking. Like, what do we get? What is the inheritance? Well, thankfully, the Bible has a lot to say about the inheritance that God the Father has prepared for us. John 3.16. We all know it and love it and believe it, but read it with fresh eyes. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have what? Eternal, everlasting life. So what's our inheritance? According to the Bible, eternal life. Life with God. A prophecy in Revelation 21 about this everlasting life. It it brings clarity to what is waiting for those who are in Christ. Revelation 21, 3 through 4 says this. John writes, he says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be as their God. Verse 4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither, the, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Life with what? No sin. Life with no suffering. Life with no death. No sadness. No sin to interrupt. God himself will in eternal life, he will wipe away the tears from your eyes that you can never imagine not dealing with. God himself will rid you finally of the sin that you think you can never get past. God himself will be with you as your God, and we will be with him face to face. The Bible has even more to say about our inheritance. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5. through Cody actually read this text last week. He says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What are we born to? To an inheritance. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. I love this text because that means that nothing can take away your inheritance. If God has given it to you, and if you are in Christ and a Christian in this room, you will be eternally and everlastingly saved from sin. You can't mess up your inheritance. And that's good news because I would mess it up if somebody could. Your sin can't change your inheritance. Your circumstances can't change your inheritance. Your suffering cannot change your inheritance. But God keeps it for you. First Peter 1 says that he guards it for you. If God is guarding something, ain't nothing taking it away. And our text, look back at our text, what does it say? It says that in verse 12, we've, we've not looked specifically at a verb for what God does. God the Father does. It says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance. Who's doing the action? And let's just bring this back to like just grammar school. Who's doing the action 
in verse 12. Who is qualifying? It's God that's qualifying. Are we qualifying ourselves? No. And praise God, because we can't qualify ourselves. We don't have to submit a resume. We don't have to, to, to do, do, do. But God is the one doing the action, and he qualifies us. And how does he qualify us? By his son's death, burial, and resurrection. Listen, we have been justified by Christ's blood and his death. Our life is hidden with Christ on high. So when God looks on us, what does he see? He sees Christ saying, declaring us righteous in his sight. This is what qualifies us, not our, I mean, we we trust in his finished work. We don't trust in ourselves. I mean, our eternal inheritance, which you have been qualified for because of Christ's work on your behalf, is waiting for you if you are in Christ. That is good news. Not because of how awesome you are, but because of who your Father is. So truth number one, in Christ we have an eternal inheritance. Truth number two from our text, in Christ we are a part of a new kingdom. In Christ, we are a part of a new kingdom. Listen for that truth in verse 13. Well, I'll give you a second to write it down. I know it's longer. In Christ, we are a part of a new kingdom. Verse 13 says this. Well, verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. What a glorious picture, is it not? What happens to those who, have been, who are being saved and who have been saved in verse 13? He transfers and transforms us. God himself takes us from one kingdom to another. He takes us from the domain of darkness, the domain of sin, the domain of Satan, the reality that Ephesians 2, 1 describes for us when it says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. He takes us from this kingdom, this domain, And he brings us to the new kingdom. And whose kingdom is it in verse uh, 13? The kingdom of who? His beloved son. And once again, kind of like in truth one, we're left like asking a question of how this happens. And and, in truth number one, we said, how do we get this inheritance? And the answer was, well, God qualifies you for it. Not even because you're you're qualified, but because Christ is qualified on your behalf. Now we ask the question, well, how are we transferred? Do we just pick ourselves up and say, I want to be over there. So I'm going to work really hard to walk and stretch through. Do we have to buy a ticket? Do we have to work harder? Do we have to simply have more, more faith, more faith? Do we pick ourselves up from our bootstraps and, and say, I can do this? No. Look at verse 13. And once again, ask ourselves the question, who's doing the action and who's doing the receiving? Verse 13, 
He, being God, the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness. And He has, God doing the action, transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. God acts, we receive. God delivers. God transfers. We are delivered. We are transferred. Because God's the only one who can do the transferring. He has, if you think about two kingdoms, right? He has provided the bridge to the new kingdom. He's provided the mode of transportation to the new kingdom. And he has bought your ticket to the new kingdom. And all of that is Christ. The cross reconciles us back to God. I mean, yeah, yeah, the cross reconciles us back to God. And, and he died on the cross not just so you can feel better about yourself or you can say, Oh, I feel, feel good that God would love me this much. But he died to accomplish something. He died for your sins. He died to free you. To tr- he died to transfer you to a new kingdom. He died to pay your ticket to the new kingdom. He died to pay the debt that kept you in the domain of darkness. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, so the way that you're able to get to the new kingdom, God reconciles you through His cross. God Himself bought you the ticket. And what was the price of the ticket? His Son's blood suffered and broken for you so that you don't so that you you would not you would be delivered from sin's reign and tyranny eternally jesus died to purchase your way second corinthians 5 17 says if anyone is in christ he is a new creation the old is gone it's wiped away behold the new has come and if you are in a new kingdom You know what that means. You have a new king, Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's his kingdom, right? It's not our own kingdom. And if we understand this, that we are a part of God's kingdom, we are a part of Christ's kingdom, if we grasp this reality, we will never be the same. Like if you truly grasp that you've been delivered from a horrible kingdom to the kingdom of the Son, your life will be eternally changed Because guess what? Your own life is not your kingdom. The things that we try to build for ourselves, whether it be people's reputation of us, wanting people to like us more, or or putting off an image where we're way up here, but in reality, we're kind of down here. What is that? Building up our own kingdom. Your status, your family, wealth, your possessions, your likability. It looks like you building up your own kingdom kingdom but that kingdom is false and it will be burned away on the last day but if you are a part of the kingdom of the beloved son that's an everlasting kingdom it's an eternal kingdom that will never fade away and listen because of christ you have an eternal inheritance because of christ you are welcomed in to this good and perfect eternal kingdom. Because of Christ. Don't get it twisted. You don't become the king of that kingdom. 
Christ is the king. We are his people. But there's one more awesome thing that this text teaches us. Truth number three. In Christ, we are forgiven of our sins. In Christ, we are forgiven of our sins. We have redemption in Christ. Look at verse 14. This is where we get that truth very obviously. It says, we've been transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son in the son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. We have been washed by the blood of Christ. Praise God for his grace. Listen, the reality is, if we're in Christ, there is no sin too damning. If we're in Christ, there's, I mean, there's no sin too gross for God not to deal with you. There's no sin that's, that's cut too deep. There's no unforgivable sin. Every sin that you've done, every sin that you're doing right now, every sin that you will do in the future, every sin that you, you thought about doing but didn't act on, it's all paid for in Christ. And you are forgiven. In God, do you know what we find? Do we find condemnation? We find Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So if you feel condemned from your sin, God does not, if you're in Christ, God does not condemn you. He wants for you to find forgiveness. For you to, Proverbs 28.3 says that we should repent of our sin, forsake our sin, and there we will find forgiveness. He wants you to repent of that sin and forsake it so that he can wipe it away clean. He's promised he'll do it. He wants to blot out every sin. And listen, if you feel like this is weighty, like if you feel like when we sing Judge of the Secrets, which every time we sing that, it's like, oh yeah, I feel the weight of my sin. We're talking about how we're under the weight of your sin. If you feel, if you feel the weight and the heaviness of your sin, if you feel like you need to confess your sin, we talked about this in community group this last week, that is God being kind to you. That's God's kindness. What is the wages of sin? Death. So if God is calling you out of sin and to see him and to repent, what a merciful and kind God that is. He's not being severe with you. He's not. So if you, if you feel burdened or heavy, you can go to Christ who can and will and promises to, what does verse 14 say? Redeem you and forgive you of your sins. And this is, this is the gospel. This is the gospel. Inheritance, transformation, redemption. And that, if you are in Christ this morning, that's exactly what you have. You've been transferred to a new kingdom. Praise the Lord. You've been given an eternal inheritance. Praise the Lord. And, and from the beginning, I mean, as soon as you place faith in Christ, he's wiped away your record of wrong. You are forgiven. But if you've never trusted in Christ, like if you've never seen Christ as your Savior, and repented of your sins, 
and prayed that he would, and just prayed that, that, that Christ would forgive you and that he would redeem you and adopt you, if you've never done this, then none of this is true about you. You don't have an eternal inheritance. You don't have any inheritance. You're not, you're, you're not a part of the new kingdom. You're still in the domain of darkness. You, um, and, and you're not forgiven of your sins. And I don't say that to scare you. The point is for you to see that this is the most important thing in your life. What you think about Jesus Christ. What you think about the gospel is more important than anything. More important than what you spend your time doing. More important than what you read. More important than what we binge. More important than, what we, than the things that we focus on right now. Social media, work, whatever. None of that can save you eternally. None of it matters eternally. But what you think about Christ matters for eternity. And he can and wants to save you. He can and wants to pick you up out of your domain of darkness and transfer you to his eternally good kingdom. Can and will do it. He desires that no one perish. So our response this morning is we're going we're gonna to take the Lord's Supper together. And I think this is a good and right response for us to have. When, when, we, when we see and, and, and are confronted with our sin and the gospel, what a, what a perfect way to respond. What is the Lord's Supper? The Lord's Supper, first of all, is a, is a family meal. Uh, the Lord's Supper is a, a meal of thanksgiving. Because number one, when we take it, those who are in Christ, we look back and we remember, man, he's, he's transferred me. I'm no longer in the domain of darkness. He's given me an eternal inheritance. We look back and we praise God for what he's done. We also are thankful because, like we said earlier, we can look around and say, praise God for saving all the Matheny Row right here and, and students and, and, and everyone in this room. We can praise God for that. And also, it's a meal of thanksgiving because we're looking forward to that inheritance, to that final supper where we will never be hungry or thirsty again, but we'll forever be satisfied. So if you are a Christian, here's the response this morning. Rejoice in your salvation. Take and eat. And, and, and remember, this is Christ's blood. This is why I am qualified. is because of the blood and death and burial and resurrection of Christ my Lord. Rejoice, take, eat, sing. Come out of here floating on the arms of Jesus because of what he's done on your behalf. But if you are not a Christian... This is a, the Lord's Supper is a family meal. It's reserved for those who are in Christ, who have a seat at the table. So if you are not a Christian and you never repented of your sins and trusted in Christ's work on your behalf, the, the response for you is much different. The response for you is not to take and eat. The response for you is to observe and, and, and think, what do I think about Christ? Who do I say Christ is? is? Is he my Lord? The response for you is to repent and trust in Christ and to observe this time. Do not take and eat lest we drink judgment upon ourselves is what Paul says. So that's our response. So this time, 
those who are taking the Lord's Supper, um, I would just invite you guys to, to try to think about the best way to do this. Yeah, though you guys who are preparing the Lord's Supper, I'm going to pray. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pray as we as we close this time, and then we're going to Stephanie's going to play um, a little instrumental on the piano. So just take this time not to talk with friends or doodle or or get on your phone, but take this time to examine yourself. If you're in Christ, pray some prayers of thanksgiving and and repenting of sin. And if you're not in Christ, take this time to to just examine what who do you say Christ is. Um, I'm going to pray for us now. We'll do that, and then I'll lead us in instruction after that. So, Lord, we just thank you so much for the clarity of Colossians 1. We thank you for giving us an eternal inheritance. We thank you for delivering us from the domain of darkness. And we thank you for the redemption that's found in Christ's blood. Lord, we don't save ourselves. We don't qualify ourselves. We don't forgive ourselves. We don't transfer ourselves, but you do it for us. And we praise your holy name. So now, Lord, as we respond by partaking of the Lord's Supper, Lord, I pray that if we're in Christ, Lord, people that are, that are saved and a part of you, that we would rejoice because of what you've done on our behalf. We would not wallow in our sins, but we would repent of our sins and trust in Christ's work. And, and for those who are not in Christ this morning, Lord, I do pray that you would, you would show, you would reveal yourself as the one true king as the one worthy of eternal worship. Yeah, Lord, you are worthy of our praise. You're worthy of our lives. We pray that we would respond rightly, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.